and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurditz, and today we are coming live from the PFF studio in Cincy, Vegas, Ohio. No longer my mom's basement or my apartment in Columbus, Ohio. Cincinnati people, big time. Now, over the past two months, we spent the majority of our time talking redraft fantasy football with an eye on 2020. Makes sense, majority of you are in those leagues. But today, I want to focus a little bit more on the long-term picture. I'm talking dynasty leagues. If not dynasty leagues... A lot of you out there at least, you know, have a keeper or two to worry about every year. So, you know, I think in life in general, taking that long-term view is going to help you. And fantasy football, as we're going to find out today, also usually a good idea. So, I brought a very special guest to help accomplish this. Editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of Action Network, host on SiriusXM. Man, the people, the prop prophet himself, Matthew Freeman. Matt, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing well. That was an excellent introduction. (laughs) It was almost as if you were just reading what was in my Twitter bio that's how it goes man that's how i get random hosts all over the country to be you know call me president of the cordero patterson fan club i mean you got you gotta put some wild cards in that twitter bio sometime to you know catch them off guard yeah what's funny is i wonder if they actually think you literally are the president of the fan club like there is a fan club that exists and you actually are the president like you send emails to people who are obsessed with cordero patterson you know like hey guys let's uh, let's have a zoom meeting let's talk about uh, his ability to return kicks and everything like that it's a uh, thursday afternoons right after my curtis samuel is actually good uh, meetings on the morning so yes matt it's uh, it's a good time talking c pat i don't think he's gonna crack your uh, dynasty list we're getting today but we'll see you know i've been wrong before but so look I, i've reached out you know i've had a lot of people talk to me in the last few weeks about hey i have a dynasty league starting who, who the hell do I draft? I pick one. And you go online, and it is very tough to find just a dynasty ranking. So, Matt, that's why I brought you on for here today. I would like to get your top five ranks at QB, running back, wide receiver. At the end, I got a few specific guys to talk about, and then we'll get out of here. So, without further ado, Matthew Friedman, who are your top five quarterbacks in dynasty formats? Well, it's got to be pretty chalk at the top, of course. So I have Patrick Mahomes, number one, Lamar Jackson, number two. And then, you know, there could be some variability in the list after that. I have Deshaun Watson, number three, Kyler Murray, number four, and Dak Prescott, number five. And I don't think there's anything too controversial in those rankings. Yeah. So would you say, like, compared to other positions, DC quarterback lining up the most, like, with redraft consistently? Yeah, I think so. You know, and part of it is because people in a lot of dynasty leagues will tend to overweight what's going to happen in the present year, and they won't think so much about what's happening in the future. But, you know, really, quarterback is pretty even year to year. Uh, and so for the most part, if a guy's going to do well this year, he's probably going to be someone you want to be invested in long term. And, you know, that's a kind of consistent projection. So I think it makes sense that the guys who are at the top of a lot of dynasty rankings at quarterback are the guys at the top of the redraft rankings. So if we're in a dynasty league where it is two QB or, you know, more commonly, I think super flex, you have the mm-hmm. 1.01. Are, are you feeling, you know, confident about Mahomes now having this 10 year deal to go ahead and use the first pick on him? Or are you still looking running back? Oh, Mahomes. Easy. I I would love to have Mahomes there. I mean, I could see there being big questions about Jackson as the potential number one quarterback, given that he's two years younger and uh, he was just absolutely dynamic last year. Uh, But for me, it's it's Mahomes. And I don't want to say it's Mahomes convincingly, but uh, I feel a little more confident in his ability projecting that forward for the long term versus Lamar Jackson. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's definitely between those two uh, at the top. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. Now, I'm really happy to see you have Deshaun Watson number three because, you know, obviously losing DeAndre Hopkins is objectively bad for any offense, any quarterback to go through. But we've seen so much from Watson since he came into the league. Just, I mean, as many great those as he's had to Hopkins, we've seen him doing the same thing to Fuller, to Kiki Cootie, to anyone they can get out there because, let's be honest, the Texans have had very little depth outside of Hopkins over these years. So it seems like you, like me, are very confident confident we're going to see Watson being a top five quarterback for years to come with or without, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league at his side. Yeah, absolutely. He's only 25 in his three seasons on a per game basis. He's been a top four fantasy quarterback each year and his wide receiver unit, even though it doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins, it's still pretty darn good. Like Will Fuller, I think he has legit number one overall potential. And then you have Brandon Cooks added to that. Uh, Kenny Stills might be the best number four wide receiver in the league. And Randall Cobb, even though he's older, is, I think, at worst, an acceptable slot receiver, like a professional slot receiver. So those are four really good guys. And then, you know, whatever they have at the tight end position, they have like four guys that they could filter out there and two pretty good pass catching options out of the backfield. I mean, I don't think you could look at the weapons around Deshaun Watson and think that there's anything notable missing. We kind of joke about how the Texans play calls this year might just be, you know, your basic four verts Madden play, but they have the speed and the resources to maybe pull that off. All right, number four, Kyler. This is where I have him in redraft. Now, Kyler last year wasn't amazing. You know, you look at just his kind of PFF deep ball rating, 16th, under pressure, 21st, even kept clean, 32nd, but those legs, the dual threat ability, I mean, he became, you know, he joins Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, RG3, Dak, and Russell Wilson as the only rookie QBs to post top 12 production as a rookie. I mean, how big of a year two leap are you expecting here from Kyler? Because I'm with you on his long-term upside, but is 2020 just maybe a year too early to expect him to really post top five stuff? No, I think he's in the top five this year. And, you know, I'm kind of with the consensus in terms of, you know, ranking him in the, the top five, top six. And uh, I think if you look, you know, contextually at what he did last year, a, a first year head coach, first year play caller in the league, uh, an offensive line in terms of pass blocking that wasn't that great, a wide receiver unit that was pretty decimated and that was anchored by a guy who was, you know, like 37, 38, uh, who's in the slot, you know, no real tight end to speak of. Uh, no great pass catching options out of the backfield because David Johnson was hindered for much of the season. You know, given all of that, Kyler Murray did amazingly well in his first year. And so assuming that that offense continues to progress, uh, I really like what he could do for this year. And then thinking that he's only 23, I mean, he could be very good for a number of years. Yeah, and the thing with Kyler, you know, I've heard people point out, and I, I kind of agree with the general team idea that the 2020 Cardinals could be a little disappointing like the 2019 Browns, but just in terms of fantasy, Kyler is not going to take as big of a drop of Baker purely from that rushing floor that we're getting from him. Now, Dak coming in number five, I think it's a good call, but, you know, how, I guess, is there a tier drop off to your like, number six and beyond, or was Dak kind of, you know, pretty close with someone else? You know, I think Dak is kind of in a tier of his own at number five. Uh, I, you know, I, I would be tempted almost to put him at number four based on what he's done to this point in his career, but he's already 27. And it's not as if that's ancient for a quarterback, but you know, that's significantly older than all of the four guys ahead of him. And then you have Russ at number six, who's 32 Carson Wentz at number seven, who's 28. You know, I just think that there's kind of a little bit of a difference, uh, you know, for, with Dak, 
between the guys ahead of him and the guys behind him. Uh, but I feel pretty good about him at number five. And, uh, you know, I, I heard you do the uh, the Dallas Cowboys podcast, and I agree with a lot of what you said. I think this Cowboys offense is going to light it up this year. They are so loaded. Word out of training camp just keeps on adding to the hype with how, uh, how good CeeDee Lamb might be from day one. All right, man, good stuff all around. Now moving on to running backs. Give me your top five. I have a feeling we're going to see a little bit of a different uh, strategy because as we all know, young man game, young young man's game, young man position particularly. Yeah, this is where we get controversial. And I'll just kind of say up front, I have this perspective that if I can sort of project into the future with enough certainty and thinking like, okay, this guy in a year is probably going to be ranked in my top five. I might as well put him in my top five now and try to get ahead of the market on this. So number one, I have Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Saquon Barkley. You know, no big controversy there. Number three, I have Clyde Edwards Lair. And I'm just going to say like that, that's aggressive, but people are going to be there in a year. I'm just going to beat them to that point. And number four, this one I think is going to floor people. I have Josh Jacobs at number four. Uh, and, and we can dive into that a little bit more. And then number five, Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm totally fine with Zeke uh, in the top five, even though you know he's already 25. I feel pretty confident that he belongs there. Okay, let's let's start at the top real quick. CMC versus Saquon. I mean, I think I'm on the belief of that. You know, if if the aliens invaded the planet, we had to field a football team. We needed to have a running back out there. It'd be Saquon Barkley. Like, I think he is the best running back in the league. But CMC's targets are just Oh my God. Like we have never seen them before at the running back position, new offense, new quarterback, but I mean, they paid the guy already. Teddy's there. I mean, I guess you're not concerned about McCaffrey just continuing to set records as a receiver. Yeah. I mean, I think he has a really high target floor, which should help him age gracefully. Uh, and so, you know, a normal, you know, two down grinder, or maybe even like your, your well-rounded competent three down back, who's more of a runner than a receiver, that guy is going to have a, a steeper aging curve, but McCaffrey could, I think, really be an above average player for a number of years. Uh, and so I feel pretty decent putting him there at number one, even though he is a year older than Saquon and, and no one can take away from Saquon that as an athlete, like as a, a physical specimen, he is almost unrivaled in the league. So some people have Saquon number one. I, I wouldn't really battle you too much in terms of who's number one, who's number two, but I prefer CMC at the top because of his locked-in workload. Yeah, and honestly, maybe the one you know really big change that's coming in the Giants offense, that is offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, could be the reason why you want McCaffrey there. Matt, I know you've been a you know long-time troubled annoyed Cowboys fan who you know you saw exactly what Jason Garrett's done over the years now he did enable you know enable meaning he just fed the ball to as many times as he could Ezekiel Elliott DeMarco Murray plenty of high-end fantasy backs over the year any concern about Jason Garrett you know messing this up somehow I mean, we do have Deion Lewis there like oh god I can't imagine a situation where we're taking off Saquon Barkley for Deion Lewis but hey you know we saw Matt LaFleur do something similar not that long ago no, I mean, Jason Garrett, you know, his addition to that New York Giants organization is probably bad for everyone except for Saquon Barkley. <laughs> I'm imagining a very running back focused offense where they run the ball a lot. Uh, Saquon gets a ton of usage, and then he also gets a lot of targets out of the backfield. You know, I, I have Saquon as my number two running back this year in redraft, and I think he's locked in as a top two guy in Dynasty. All right, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I'm with you easily RB1 over Jonathan Taylor. I mean, it's just 
You give Andy Reid a running back and good things happen. I mean, you go back to the Eagles days. Deuce Staley was putting up top 15 numbers every year. Brian Westbrook, I mean, from 2004 to 2008, Brian Westbrook, PPR rank, RB5, RB7, RB4, RB1, RB1. And that's PPR per game. So, you know, he wasn't the RB1 all those years. But, I mean, my goodness. And I hate so much when guys get drafted and we immediately compare them to these former All-Pros. But in this case, I can't be mad because it was Andy Reid who coached Brian Westbrook, who's responsible at least a little bit for drafting Clyde Eberslayer. He made the Brian Westbrook comp. Matt, you're buying in immediately that we're going to get Brian Westbrook-esque production from Clyde Eberslayer and, you know, anyone's, anyone's idea of the best offense in the league. Yeah, and I should say, in all fairness, uh, I, I was ridiculous enough to make the Brian Westbrook comp before he was drafted. Uh, and, and then it, it felt just, it felt a little too perfect. You know, some people after the combine, when Edwards Lair ran only a four, six, 40 time at 207 pounds, you know, some people thought, okay, this guy isn't athletic enough to, to really be a full workhorse in the league. But actually, if you kind of look back at the data, you look at some of those smaller, shorter guys, they actually haven't needed to have a lot of speed in order to do well in the NFL. I think like at a certain point, once a guy can play, it kind of doesn't matter if he has the speed, you know, that normally goes along with the running back position. He's just good enough to be a professional running back. And I think that's what we see out of Edwards Alaire. And then you add in the fact that he's such a dynamic receiving weapon. I mean, really unrivaled in the way that LSU used him. They would actually use him. You know, people talk about like, oh, you know, they can play this running back in the slot. Edwards Alaire actually lined up in the slot a lot of times. They split him out wide. He has legitimate receiver-like capabilities you know, add in the fact that he's only 21 years old, what he did in college last year, a first rounder, and then that offense that he's in. I mean, man, total home run. Yeah, I had a fantasy points, Graham Barfield on the pod a few weeks ago, you know, one of the real just sharpest RB guys in our industry. And he said Clyde Edwards Hilaire, in his opinion, is the best receiving back to come out since McCaffrey. And yeah, you put on the, you know, hashtag watch the film you put it on there and the dude's running option routes against Bama and these top SEC schools making it look easy so yeah I'm with you man I think we do tend to overrate long speed particularly at the running back position when I mean how many times per season are you running 40 yards in a straight line anyway and honestly Josh Jacobs kind of fits that bill too where it's a guy that you know didn't didn't drop too much but didn't have you know the most amazing combine ever people probably overthought it and what happened last year we saw he was immediately one of the best players on the field and I mean if you didn't watch the Raiders games out there everyone I mean you, you missed out because truly I mean if Saquon is number one in the league with a ball in his hands like I don't think you can name four other guys that are going to beat Jacobs you know just in terms of some of our PFF stats the things he was able to do number two in elusive rating number two in overall broken tackles and he was ripping off big plays too and number three and 15 plus yard runs now obviously Matt you know big topic of discussion over these last two weeks you know the Raiders felt the need to sign Theo Riddick it's why can't Josh Jacobs get targets you don't seem too concerned with that for at least his future outlook. Yeah, I mean, just thinking long-term, I don't know, maybe he gets targets, maybe he doesn't. I think it'll kind of wash out a little bit, but just long-term, I'm looking at a 22-year-old who was drafted in the first round and as a rookie had over 100 yards per game. Uh, I, I mean, and now his offense is going to get better. And I'm thinking of this, Josh Jacobs, would I rather have him for the next three years or Ezekiel Elliott for the next three years? Like maybe that's a little bit of a wash in terms of like the, the production that we end up getting. Maybe it's about the same with maybe a slight edge going to Ezekiel Elliott. But at that point, Zeke is 28 and Josh Jacobs is 25, you know? So like I'm thinking of three-year increments 
with the long tail added after that of the production we might get from guys. And at that point, I mean, if we acknowledge that running backs who are first rounders and who are young are prized assets, you, you better value Josh Jacobs that way. No, it's, it's a really good point about age. I, I think in redraft formats, you know, we don't really consider it all that much, but dynasty is more important than ever. And just years of experience in the league is obviously going to correlate uh, pretty well with age too. And I was looking at, you know, I just took the top 12 PPR fantasy performers by position and looked at, you know, how many occur, occur with X years of NFL experience and all four of the top running back years were one, two, three, and four. And then, you know, okay, maybe you have a few exceptions here and there balling out, but yeah, man, like, you know, gun to my head, who's going to put up more fantasy points over the next three seasons. I think you will have to take Josh Jacobs over Ezekiel Elliott. So don't think you're crazy there, Matt, but staying on the Zeke topic, I mean, he's got the long-term deal. Tony Pollard may or may not be a better option for the team, or at least, you know, provide a, you know, an explosiveness that could be helped and, you know, could help being out there. But at the same time, you know, Zeke does his thing. You know, Dame Brugler uh, famously called him like a Carmelian. You can put him in any system in the league, and he's going to be a great running back in it. He's probably going to keep getting fed. Maybe the targets will come now that Jason Witten's there. It's, you seem confident we're going to have at least, you know, another three, maybe four seasons of high-end production from Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, a lot of people have Zeke, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin Kamara in their top five. Uh, and, you know, I've been aggressive in putting Edwards, Alaire, and Jacobs ahead of those guys, but I still think Zeke is the one of those three guys who belongs in the top five. They're all 25 years old. Uh, and so, you know, they're all at that point where they're going to start to decline in value uh, within the market, the trading market, and then also declining in value in terms of what they give you year to year in fantasy points. But Zeke, I think, has that elevated floor uh, based on the offensive line in front of him, the system that he's in the usage that we get out of him year after year after year. And the fact that even though he's not used all that much in the receiving game, he is still competent enough as a receiver to give him a well-rounded floor. So, uh, you know, I prefer him to cook, prefer him to Kamara. We know that Zeke is going to be in Dallas for a while. We can't say that for sure with Dalvin cook and Kamara when it comes to the Vikings and the saints. And again, they're all 25 years old. All of them at some point are going to start to decline. Incredibly clear situation in Dallas, and that does extend to Pollard. I mean, if something happened to Zeke, Tony Pollard would be the guy there. Very few running backs around the league, I think you can say that for. And because of that, in best ball all the time, I want to get those four handcuffs in the league. I think they're Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray, Chase Edmonds, and my goodness, now I'm forgetting one. Oh, my gosh. Matt, do you know the other handcuff? You got no, to. I, I, was, I was just blanking out. Alexander Madison, that is the yes. fourth handcuff you need to get. <laughs> Madison, Murray, Edmonds, Pollard, everyone. I want all these guys in best ball, redraft, whatever. And I understand the argument that says, okay, if you have a Zeke or LA on your team and you also have Tony Pollard on your team, they're not both going to ball out in the same season. So you should draft Latavius Murray instead of Pollard. That's fine. But guess what? Again, there's only four of these handcuffs. So if you can get Latavius and Pollard, why not? I'm doing it for all my best ball teams. When I'm playing best ball, I'm doing it with the fine folks at Underdog Fantasy. If you guys want to play yourself, use code PFF, Underdog Fantasy. Go get those handcuffs. Why are you going to spend, you know, a perfectly good draft slot on some compliment, you know, carry on Johnson, Tariq Cohen. Maybe they give you a few weeks here and there. But, you know, if the worst case scenario arises, you're not getting that same ceiling. So Underdog Fantasy, code PFF. Go get those handcuffs, everyone. All right, moving on, wide receiver. Now, Matt, before I want to get your top five here and also just in general, because I know – you know, this has been the offseason of robust RB, telling everyone in redraft leagues, go get your RBs early. Do you treat wide receiver that same way, or are you actually, I mean, I'm sorry, in dynasty leagues, are you treating it the same way, or are you trying to load up more on wide receiver than you otherwise would? 
oh, I want wide receivers in dynasty all day long um, for a few reasons. One, they're longer lived assets. Uh, so you get, I think, enhanced value if one of these guys hits. And then year to year, I think they're just a little more consistent, you know? So like a, a running back, you know, he could get benched, something like that. But if a wide receiver is good, he's going to be out there. And maybe some years he doesn't get as many targets as he's gotten in other years, but he's still going to be out there running routes, having the opportunity of getting targets. So wide receivers, I, I want to invest in them. And, you know, like you'll see it in some startup drafts or, or rookie drafts, you'll see a third round running back in some cases get drafted before a first round wide receiver. And it's like people just like you're making mistakes. Like this is an unforced error. Don't, don't complicate this, you know, get the guys who are going to be good longer, you know, like that's, that's what you do in dynasty. And I think you do that most by investing in the wide receiver position. And they do last longer. I mean, it's still, you know, running back and wide receiver compared to quarterback and tight end, they are a younger man's position, but you know, going back to that study I mentioned before about, you know, what year are players balling out and yeah, you see wide receivers in year two, three and four doing fine, but even five, like you're actually seeing five and six account for just as many big seasons as, you know, year three wide receivers. So definitely a position where, you know, we're going to see an extended ceiling. So Matt, top five dynasty wide receivers in 2020 okay i mean at the top everyone's favorite michael thomas not controversial there number two uh i'm going to kind of blow some people's minds i have juju smith schuster at, at number two after after the season he had i'm i'm still there on juju which is very on brand for me number three i have tyree kill number four chris godwin number five Devonte adams i am I don't know if it's offended the right word that A.J. Brown didn't crack this. What the hell, man? I only brought you on here so we could talk up A.J. Brown for 20 minutes. Yeah, no, it's funny. <laughs> I, was, I was high on A.J. Brown as a rookie, and uh, now a little – I wouldn't say I'm not high on him. I have him in my top 10. I, I feel like that's respectful. But, uh, you know, the thing is because the wide receiver position is pretty long-lived, uh, I, I have to respect some guys who are still, like, middle-aged – who could have multiple seasons of productivity going forward, even though they're older, uh, AJ Brown. Uh, I mean, the talent is unrivaled uh, is very dynamic, but you know, who knows what to make of that offense? Who knows if Ryan Tannehill regresses a little bit. So I like the future for AJ Brown, but I would just rather have some guys ahead of him. Fair enough. Fair enough. D diplomatic answer there from you, but okay. Michael Thomas, look, I don't think he's going to flirt with 200 targets every year, but, I mean, we have no, – I, I can't think of another receiver in recent memory that has lost their starting QB, had the backup coming, and, and just didn't even miss a step. I mean, I think even though Breeze is going to retire soon, like, clearly you are still more than happy to buy Michael Thomas in the Sean Payton offense for years to come. Yeah, and, and you know, again, I think in three-year increments and then with the added tail after that. And I don't know if any wide receiver has as good of a chance as Michael Thomas over the next three years – of leading the position in fantasy points. And you think he could do that all still before turning 30. So, you know, I know that he's 27, which, you know, it, it, for in dynasty that might start to feel a little bit older, but it's really not that bad, especially given the talent that he has. And again, the fact that, you know, whether Drew Brees is there or not, you know, maybe Jameis Winston comes in. I imagine that they somehow will figure out the quarterback position. The fact that he was able to do it last year without Drew Brees, I think should, should give people... Uh, all the more confidence in his ability to transition from the Breeze era to whatever comes next. And the reality that he's winning underneath, like not even with speed or like obviously he has speed, he has physicality, but this guy's route running is just on another level. Like he's going to age very gracefully, I would imagine. All right, 
Number two, Juju Smith-Schuster, man. I know you're, you know, president of the Antonio Brown. Something crazy was going to happen, whether that be on the field or off the field. And you got your victory laps in there. And that means Juju Smith-Schuster should be the guy. Didn't quite happen that way last season. Obviously, that's life when Mason Rudolph and something named Duck Hodges are under center. You seem very confident we're going to see Juju get back to being a baller in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, he's only 24. Okay, so let's just pretend, even though we know it's not the case, let's pretend that what happened last year was representative of reality, that it was a normal juju season, uh, that what happened on the field was just within the normal course of events. Even if you don't discount what happened last year, if you looked at what juju has done in his first three seasons, it stacks up really well with a lot with what a lot of other great receivers have done in their first three years, especially when you adjust for his age. So, you know, and then you add in reality, which is like, Hey, Juju was injured for a massive chunk of the season. And he was playing with two guys who shouldn't even be in the NFL. <laughs> so given that Ben Roethlisberger is back, given that uh, he is a great talent, given that they actually have other good receivers on the outside who can help take away some of the defensive pressure, given that that offense is going to throw quite a bit, or at least I think they're going to throw quite a bit because that's just what Roethlisberger likes to do. I think we're looking at Juju going back to normal. That's not to say that he's going to have 1400 yards the way he did in his second season, but for the next three years, man, there, I can't think there's only one Michael Thomas. There's only one wide receiver. I would rather have over Juju for the next three years. Yeah, only wide receivers to gain over 2,000 yards by the age of 22 during the Randy Moss era. Randy Moss, Josh Gordon, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Larry Fitzgerald, Sammy Watkins, and DeAndre Hopkins. Last year, and I'm happy you brought up the injuries because, you know, people just kind of point the down year saying, okay, it was Rudolph and Hodges. But, I mean, he was playing through toe, foot, knee injuries. Then he got concussed, I mean, like halfway through the season. Just, just a trash year for Juju. And guess what? He kept smiling, kept going out there playing hard. You know, Pittsburgh loves him. I'm, you know, not quite as high uh, as you on Juju, but it would be surprising not to see him, you know, be at, at a minimum a borderline wide receiver one for years to come. Yeah, I mean, here's the way I'm thinking about it now. The number two ranking might be aggressive, but, you know, think of DeAndre Hopkins, who had three really strong seasons to open his career. Then in 2016, he had the, you know, Brock Osweiler impacted down year. And people were like, ah, I don't know about DeAndre Hopkins. Is he washed? And then he's had three great seasons, all pro seasons since then. You know, there was a buying opportunity then. And you don't often get the buying opportunity with a premium wide receiver. And I think that's what we have now with Juju. All right. Number three, you have Tyreek Hill. He is signed with the Chiefs through 2022. Guaranteed money is up in 2021. But obviously, if... No more off-the-field issues arise. He will be Patrick Mahomes' number one wide receiver for the next three years. Is the number three ranking here just a little bit of a, you know, okay, we've seen Tyreek kind of struggle to, you know, stay on the field, stay out of trouble, or is that just more you're worried about the overall target share? Well, like number three, I mean, I, I couldn't put him much higher. <laughs> That's fair. That's higher, fair. You know, like, you know, Juju at 24, uh, I think deserves the edge over Tyreek at 26. But, you know, number three, like I have a lot of respect for Tyreek Hill and what he's been able to do in his career. Uh, you know, and the thing is, I mean, he's in that offense, which is just so great. Andy Reid is so fantastic, where it's not as if he puts Juju, sorry, it's not as if he puts Tyreek just on one side of the field and is like, okay, you just do your thing. Like he funnels 
funnels these guys all over the formation and schemes them open. And then, of course, he has Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, is able to improvise to where any play, even if it looks like it's dead, it could turn into an 80-yard touchdown, given, you know, the combination of Mahomes' arm strength and Tyreek's, you know, downfield speed. So I have so much respect for what Hill can do on the field uh, that, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with him ranked in the top three. Yeah, that Chiefs offense, just exhibit A of setting up your playmakers for success. I mean, you said it, you know, right, wide receiver, cornerback, every week we're doing it for years, and, you know, almost every team, even though it's not 100% in one slot, I mean, you, you have, like, a consensus left wide receiver, right wide receiver slot. Then you get the Chiefs, and they're just moving everyone around. And why wouldn't yeah. you do that? I mean, it's setting up your guys for success. And number four, moving on, Chris Goblin. And like Tyreek, like Juju, getting a lot of slot reps. Maybe those go down a little bit, but I mean, you know, had, had Matt Harmon on this pod to talk wide receivers and he's awesome reception perception, uh, shout out, go check that out. But I mean, I, me, him and I agreed, Chris Goblin is good enough. You can put him in a slot, put him out wide, bring in a new quarterback. The guy's going to ball no matter what. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. And, you know, like Juju, he's only 24. So, you know, the, the sky is really the limit for what he does from here on out. And like you, I think he's going to play the majority of his snaps in the slot once again. But even if he plays a little more outside, I don't think he matters. He's just he's so physically dominant. He's so good at the catch point and he's good. I mean, fantastic after the catch. So even if that regresses a little bit, he's still, you know, like a fantastic receiver. So there's not really anything to dislike about Chris Godwin. I think one of the main questions would be Tom Brady. Uh, how long is he going to be in Tampa Bay? But, you know, whatever, regardless of Brady, regardless of, of Bruce Arians and how long he's there in Tampa, uh, man, I, I think Godwin is the future. Yeah, I'm not completely convinced both Evans and Goblin are going to be wide receiver ones again, but I mean, they're not going to miss by much, even if worse comes to worse. All right, number five, Devontae Adams, responsible for one of my favorite training camp tweets of the year so far. Apparently, Rodgers hits Devontae for a 60-yard touchdown in practice and then crotch chops the entire sideline. So we got Rodgers, pissed off Aaron Rodgers. There is no one else to throw the ball to. I mean, you know, maybe you would think that, okay, the Packers will add a number, a number two wide receiver eventually. They didn't this year. Who knows if they will next year. Devontae Adams could have a target total that starts with two at the end of this year. And, you know, 2021 and on is looking pretty good too, huh? Yeah, I mean, the guy is, he's only 28, which, you know, for the wide receiver position really is not that old. Uh, we saw what Jordy Nelson was able to do as he aged within that offense. He was, you know, putting up seasons with thousand yards and, you know, double digit touchdowns at the age of, you know, like 32, 33. I mean, he was still very good. Uh, and so I'm thinking we see something like that for Devontae Adams. And as you mentioned, even if that offense has more of a run focused nature this year, there are going to be targets and there's really no one else to throw to unless you think Alan Lazard or <laughs> however you want to pronounce his name is going to end up being uh, someone who just breaks out from uh, mediocrity and undrafted ranks. So uh, I am fully on board with Devontae Adams thinking that uh, for the next three years, he can be a guy that, you know, you just kind of don't even think about. He has a very good chance of a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns each year. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming around more and more on Juju just from this podcast because I just remember, too, like how almost mediocre Devontae was for his first two years in the league. I mean, we 
give, give these players a chance sometimes. It's not all on them if they aren't immediately producing, you know, elite numbers. But uh, also applies moving on now to the tight end position where we do not see rookie tight ends do anything in fantasy. I mean, we've seen Gronk and Evan Ingram be rookie tight end ones, and that is literally it over the past decade. And Ingram needed OBJ to only play four games in order to get there in that season. So, you know, assuming you're not going to have the Cole Komets of the world anywhere near the top right now. With that said, I mean, you see the two, three, you know, fourth year uh, tight ends playing well, but you also see just a ton of guys that have been in the league for 10 years, uh, you know, thrive. I mean, I was like I was saying, it's a, it's a young man's game overall, but running back and wide receiver much more so than quarterback and tight end. Matt, who are your top five dynasty tight ends right now? All right, well, a big part of me just wanted to smash in TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant into the top five, but I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it just yet. You know, they, they need to prove themselves a little bit more, but at the top, George Kittle, I, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Uh, still only 27, and, you know, whether he's he's blocking or catching or running after the catch, whatever he's doing, he's just, you know, like the best player in the league. So he had to be at the top of the rankings there. Number two, maybe a little bit of a controversy, but I have Mark Andrews, and, uh, you know, we can certainly talk more about that, having him over Travis Kelsey at number three. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a controversy there, but uh, I think I'm just being a little forward-looking in that ranking. At number four, I have Zach Ertz, who uh, even though he's 30, I still think he has a number of pretty decent years left. And then number five, it really, you could make a case for like 10 guys here at number five. Uh, I'm going with Dallas Goddard, who uh, I think, I, I mean, I'm still heartbroken that the Cowboys didn't draft him a couple of years ago. The guy was named to be a Dallas Cowboy and it just didn't happen. Wow, back-to-back -back Eagles at 4-5. Let's just start right there because Zach Ertz, I bumped him out of the top three this year in redraft, only down to four. But, you know, just when I started going through the target projections more, it was just like – I mean, okay, he's going to see 120-plus targets again. And even having Jalen Rager there, even adding some wide receivers, it does seem like a situation where, you know, even if, you know, us fantasy analysts out there would like to see Goddard get that chance, I mean, Ertz is the Eagles' number one receiver for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly is. Ertz has over 100 targets each of the past five years, even if for the next three years – he regresses down to what he did before his fantastic 2018, 2019 seasons. You're still looking at a guy who's going to have 800 yards and around like six to eight touchdowns, something like that. That's really good. You know, if you have that locked into your roster for the next three years, you're pretty satisfied, but Goddard, man, I'm just, you have to think about him in terms of what he's done to this point in, in his career, even while he's having to compete with Zach Ertz for targets. Uh, and from week six on last year, he was a pretty regular part of that team's offense. And he was a low end tight end one, I think about 70% of his games. Uh, and, it, you know, that's like, that's pretty good. Like he, he has, he certainly has the capability. Now it's just a question of, is he going to be able to carve out more targets moving forward? And I, I think he will, but you know, really the key at the number five position is thinking of Goddard versus all of the other guys behind him. And I think he has the right combination of youth and production to this point in his career to warrant the number five spot over a whole bunch of guys who follow him. Yeah, Ertz narrowly out-targeted Goddard 60-55 to 55 after the Eagles' Week 10 bye. I mean, a lot of that, you would think, had to do with all the injuries they had, a wide receiver and even running back down the stretch. But, again, the guy is so good. We've seen it year after year. He's not going to go – he's not going to leave the offense. And, God forbid, anything happens to Ertz, like – 
Goddard is going to be a consensus top five, probably even top three play yeah. each and every week. All right, George Kittle, I agree with you and just saying, you know, he is the best overall tight end in the league. I mean, you just look at the most receiving yards over the last two years, regardless of position. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Travis Kelsey. Number six, George Kittle. And the way he does it, I mean, PFF's most efficient receiver in yards per out run, and he's got the highest single yards after catch per reception rate from the last decade. Unlike Kelsey, you know, not hitting 30 for a bit still. George Kittle, tight end one. And Matt, like, I feel like even drafting him among, you know, a t inside of the top five to eight wide receivers going makes sense. Yeah, and what's scary is that, I mean, I feel like in his career, he's had like 10 touchdowns called back or it's not, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's certainly been at least three, you know? So there's this, this idea where we really haven't seen the best of George Kittle yet, you know, like from a yardage perspective, even if he did just what he did last year, which is, you know, like over a thousand yards in 14 games, he's still going to, at some point have significant touchdown luck where he ends up getting 10, maybe 12 touchdowns, you know, like whatever. And think about his circumstances this year. Like there are a lot of injuries to that San Francisco wide receiver unit. This could be the year where George Kittle just destroys the position. Yeah, and you were spot on. George Kittle led the league with three nullified touchdowns due to penalty last season. I know sometimes they don't count. I mean, in the penalty, if the penalty didn't occur, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. But in these situations, it was pretty clear to see it was Kittle. It was, was ticky-tacky. Exactly. Yeah. Kittle was being a beast. So, love that call. And I do have – do you have Kittle ahead of Kelsey just in 2020? I do. Same here, man. I love it. All right, number two, Mark Andrews. I mentioned how Kittle is the number one tight end yards per out run. He's at 3.1. Mark Andrews is at 2.9, and no one else is even above 2.6. So, truly, I mean, I think if Kittle didn't exist and wasn't doing his thing, there'd be a whole lot more respect on Mark Andrews' name around the league. Yeah, I mean, Andrews was, you know, tight end of the country his final year in college as a junior, you know, the, the number one receiver for Baker Mayfield, and then came in and as a rookie looked totally dynamic. And then obviously we saw what he did last year in his second season. I mean, this guy just keeps on getting better, better. And now Hayden Hurst isn't there. And, you know, I mean, you don't want to put too much on Hayden Hurst, like, oh, you know, now that Hayden Hurst is gone, that's going to mean lots of, you know, lots of routes for Mark Andrews. But you know, they were using a, a tight end committee in Baltimore last year where Andrews wasn't on the field nearly as much as you think he would have been given the production that he had. So he's going to be on the field much more, running many more routes. They hardly ever use him as a blocker. When he's on the field, he's out there to catch the ball. Uh, and so, you know, even if you just kind of modestly give him some more targets, you, even if you think like, hey, he's probably not going to be quite as efficient as he was last year, because like, who can maintain that type of efficiency, even if that's the case, he's still going to be a top three tight end and he's only 24. And that's the thing. Normally it takes guys a while to develop at the tight end position, you know, and think of Kelsey, he was 24 when he entered the league and then he did almost nothing as a rookie because of an injury. Andrews has already done so much and he's only 24. You know, like part of me wants to be like, all right, let's just put him number one. I mean, I'm not going to be disrespectful to Kittle like that, but like they're, you know, if not for Kittle, I mean, Andrews would be a slam dunk number one. There's so much to like about him, given how long of a future he could have. It's a really good point about the workload and efficiency because, you know, we, we've talked about how Lamar Jackson's touchdown rate is bound to regress because, again, you just can't be 
that good in back-to-back seasons. We've, we've seen it again and again. Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, whoever it might be, the next season they're not going to you know, have 9% of their attempts go for scores again. But the other side of that factor that we usually kind of ignore is that the guys regress a lot of times because their volume increases the next year because they just proved how much they can do with it. So even if Andrews doesn't average the same gaudy yards per hour run numbers or you know, score 10 touchdowns on a minimal amount of targets again, he is the number one receiver in Baltimore, and like it be almost surprising if he doesn't clear triple digit targets this time around so even if that fish isn't there all the volume is going to be there we already know he's a great player don't fade a guy just for regression especially if the workload is going to be there now number three travis kelsey i don't i'm fine with this spot man because look gronk is only 144 days older than kelsey and we saw how quickly that decline came it's just such a punish you know that position there's so much wear and tear on the body when you gotta be a blocker and receiver now any other offense in the league i'd be more concerned but hey i mean patrick mahomes he's gonna age as gracefully as humanly possible yeah, I mean, even if you look at what, you know, Travis Kelsey was doing his first couple of seasons in the league and think even if that is where we see Kelsey regress to, that's still pretty good. That's a guy who's getting, you know, 800, 900 yards and, you know, five or six touchdowns. That's that's really good. You know, that's a guy who year in, year out is going to be a top five fantasy tight end. So there's nothing uh, against Kelsey at all. It's just he is entering his age 31 season. And yeah, I mean, I expect he's going to be good for a while longer, but you never know when that tight end cliff is going to come because of the offense he's in. You have to have a lot of respect with him. And so, you know, some people still have him as their number two tight end. I understand it. I think that's just a little more focused on what he's going to do this year and not thinking so much about what might happen two to three years from now. Yeah, and you know, it was good to see them get that four-year extension. It just seemed like a situation where, you know, Mahomes got paid, Jones got paid, maybe Kelsey could be the odd man out, but hey, the salary cap doesn't seem to exist in Kansas City, so they were able to figure things out. Uh, okay, Matt, all good stuff all the way around. I have about eight guys I want to get your, you know, quick two to three sentence thoughts on, a little rapid-fire round, starting off with Jaguars, QB1, Gardner Minshew. I mean, he could be good. Uh, He could be absolutely terrible and we'll find out this year. Uh, So, I mean, if you are someone who's optimistic on him, uh, especially given his rushing floor, uh, this is the time to invest because if he does well this year, he's certainly going to be uh, valued higher than he is now, given the weapons that he has, especially the addition of LaVisca Chenault. Very interested to see what that rushing floor does. I mean, only Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson have more yards on the ground than Minshew last season, but literally every single one of Minshew's yards came on scrambles, and I do kind of think that design rushing usage, like you see with Lamar and Kyler, more sustainable year to year. But yes, value will spike in a year if he does his thing again. Drew Locke with the Broncos, who, hey, he's a lot of fun, man. And, you know, all, all the millennials out there like me like watching him rap Jeezy on the sidelines. But, hey, uh, I don't know about the dynasty value. So uh, I'm a little more optimistic on what we see out of Denver this year, given uh, Pat Shermer coming in. I mean, we, we need to remember how bad things were for the Broncos last year. They had three different quarterbacks. Uh, Rich Gangrelo, as their offensive coordinator, really wasn't getting the job done. Pat Shermer. Uh, each of the past four years has had a different quarterback. Uh, And and so it's not as if there's lots of continuity within his system, but even though he's had to deal with a new passer each year, he's been able to oversee an offense that has played fairly fast and has thrown the ball pretty aggressively. And so I think that's going to suit Drew Locke pretty well. Uh, And so 
I'm probably a little more optimistic on what we see out of him this year and long-term relative to the market. I'm hoping that talent helps us get back to seeing the Drew Locke we saw at Missouri throwing downfield because that was a real weak spot of his game with the Broncos, but think it was more due to just the lack of kind of downfield talent around him. I mean, this was the class, the college of 2019's classes, number two and number four ranked quarterback and QB rating in yards per attempt when throwing passes at least 20 yards downfield. Expect that to, you know, be back up towards at least league average with Judy and Hamler now helping out. All right, Kareem Hunt. He's saddled with Chubb for at least another year, but man, if there's a backup running back in the league that could just, you know, be flipped to an open offense and get back to balling out, it's got to be him. Yeah, it's really hard to know what to make of him. Uh, his his talent, you know, puts him, I think, in the top five, if you're thinking just talents, and he's, you know, only 25. So that's the same age as Zeke, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara. He, you know, if he were a, a lead back in an offense, he would be ranked right there with those guys. Uh, and so there's a lot of unknown with his situation, but if he finds himself as a lead back, even this year or next year, uh, I mean, he's going to be, you know, probably in the top 10 in Dynasty. Uh, there's just, you know, <laughs> there's the unknown. So you can't put him there right now. Nobody averaged more broken tackles per touch than Hunt once he returned from injury in 2019. It was the same guy, just didn't have the same touches, unfortunately, for his fantasy yeah. investors. All right. Can't go like more than a day or two, it seems, without talking about our next running back on the old Twitter sphere. You and everyone else in the industry has an opinion on him. Ronald Jones and Tiffin Bay Buccaneers backfield. What's up? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm too high on him. I'm, I mean, I'll just, uh, but I'm, I'm not too high on him, but everyone's, I have him number 15 uh, in dynasty at the running back position. Uh, yeah, that's super high, but we're talking about a guy who was a, a 21 year old rookie. And so he's only 23 now. Uh, and if you look at the guys who at, in their age, 22 seasons as second year players had a thousand yards from scrimmage, uh, at the running back position. Uh, and you don't even need to look at like, okay, let's see if they were drafted in the top hundred. But even if you kind of narrow in on those guys, those are some of the best players in NFL history. And like, it, it feels wrong to put Ronald Jones in that conversation. Um, but he has upside that people are just not taking into account. Uh, and again, I, I feel like people are discounting what he did last year. He was actually pretty efficient on a per touch basis, the pass blocking, whatever it wasn't great, but as a receiver, he was much better on a per route basis than anyone wants to give him credit for. He could be the legitimate lead back, the goal line scorer in a Tom Brady led offense. And he's only 23. Like I, I don't understand why people aren't valuing him the way that he should be valued. It's, you know, it took a while for us to get any sort of coach speak out of Bruce Arians anointing him as the guy. But we've gotten that. And like you said, man, as bad as 2018 was for Ronald Jones, came back in a big way last season. He, I mean, he looked like their best running back all year. And it's unfortunate we had the blown, you know, pass protection assignment that landed him, you know, back behind Peyton Barber. But Barber's gone. No one else they brought in is going to threaten him. So a little risky. But, yeah, man, easy to see how he could be the lead guy in Tampa Bay for the next few seasons at a minimum. Okay. Odell Beckham Jr., I'm assuming he has taken one of kind of the worst ADP drops just among probable top five guys from last year. Do you think his best years are in the past, or are we about to see a little comeback season in 2020 and beyond? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'd say, like, if you look at what he did in his first three seasons, like, yeah, his, his best years, because those were, like, Hall of Fame trajectory years, <laughs> his best years are in the past. But I still think, you know, moving forward, he can be a pretty good wide receiver. We're talking about a receiver who has uh, in five years, 
uh, or maybe it's six years, uh, five different thousand yard seasons. Like there's a lot to like about what he has done to this point in his career, even though he's disappointed in the past couple of seasons. So I'm pretty optimistic about what we see out of Beckham, especially considering that he was playing in the second half of last season, uh, you know, at less than 100% in an offense that just as a whole was not clicking at all. So uh, that offense will be pretty run focused this year, but I'm still expecting more opportunities down the field for Beckham. If he plays at a, a Stefan Diggs type of level or in a Stefan Diggs kind of role, I mean, I think we're looking at a guy who has 1,200 yard potential once again. That is the thing. I mean, you look at Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota, Diggs was a target leader at just 94, but he was also PFF's like single most used and most productive deep ball receiver. So like the targets as a whole weren't quite there, but the fantasy friendly nature of them uh, was through the roof. And, you know, last season, OBJ and Mike Evans, only players with more than 25 incomplete targets that were deemed to be their QB's fault. He was playing injured, you know, but Jarvis Landry being back there, it is a crowded offense, but this would be a situation where you hope talent will went out at least a little more so than it did in 2019 uh, another receiver who man I just feel like it's probably rated a little bit higher last year for a reason Mr. Will Fuller DeAndre Hopkins is gone did Sean Watson still there how are you approaching Will Fuller in Dynasty I have him ranked number 30 but I feel that this is either way too low or, or way too high <laughs> uh, you know if if he stays healthy this year next year he will be ranked in the top 12 probably you know because that's the big question if he stays healthy uh, you can imagine what he's going to do. I feel like he's locked in for a thousand yards if he stays healthy. Like, I feel like that should be a formal part of his name, like Will Fuller the fifth if he stays healthy. Uh, I'm imagining that there's a pretty good chance that he's going to miss multiple games this year. But, and, and so that's why I'm kind of hedging by having him ranked as the wide receiver 30. And, and, you know, keeping in mind, he is 26 this year. So it's not as if like he's, he's in that middle age group where it's like, okay, I can't like just bank on tons of future for him. So, you know, I'm trying to be realistic in how I'm approaching him, knowing that he has a really wide range of outcomes. It's hard to assume rational coaching, rational front office maneuvering, particularly in Houston, but man, it would make more sense than ever if they just make sure as long as Fuller can stay healthy, as you're saying, make that a legal part of his name, keep him around Deshaun Watson. Cause I mean, Watson, 22 games with Fuller, he's averaged 8.7 yards per attempt, 16 games without. That drops all the way to 7.3. I mean, if you just look at Watson's, you know, leaders and adjusted yards per attempt, I mean, at the top, it's Fuller and Kenny Stills. And then, you know, Hopkins is there at nine. And look, that's, yes, a large part of that is the nature of their targets. They're constantly getting those downfield shots, but that helps open up the rest of the offense so guys like Hopkins can thrive. So, so important there. And yeah, man, like wide receiver 30, but give me that wide receiver 30 that has wide receiver one in his range of outcomes i mean you know we say like oh anyone can be a league winner that's not really true and will fuller is one of those guys now my top league winner candidate for this year i can't go more than a day without shouting his name just out my window when i wake up chris herndon now last year was a waste 2018 was incredible just in terms of what he did compared to rookie tight ends now we got even adam gase drinking the kool-aid matt you better be high on chris herndon otherwise i'm gonna be mad man yeah it, it's it's hard it's hard to know because as you mentioned his rookie season was so great and here's here's the thing like if you look at any list you'll often see like hall of famer hall of famer hall of famer and then like one guy who just like did nothing and my fear is that if you look at the list of what like the comparable guys for what chris herndon did his rookie year like it's a whole bunch of guys who are awesome and then it's chris herndon and my fear is is that even though 
Herndon feels like he should be someone who is great for the rest of his career, he's going to end up being the name on that list where it's like, oh man, what happened to that guy? And the answer is uh, he was you know, suspended his second season and then injured for the rest of it. Uh, and then he's you know, been stuck with the, uh, who knows, maybe this combination of Adam Gase and Sam Darnold actually works out. I would heavily bet against it. He's been stuck with that duo to facilitate his career. And I think facilitation might not happen. And so I have him ranked right now in dynasty as the tight end 18, which, you know, is low, but it's like, do I really want to put him ahead of Irv Smith or, or Johnny Smith or, or Cole Komet, or, you know, it's like, there are just a whole bunch of other guys where it's like, you know what, I can see how they get it done over Chris Herndon, even though talent wise, he should probably be ahead of them. I have one of those lists you mentioned right here handy. Only rookie tight ends to average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Chris Herndon, Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Noah Font, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, and Mr. George Kittle. So you said it. It's such a great list. It's such a great list. The thing is, on a list like that, there's always the one guy where it's like, yep, that guy didn't do it. I'm just scared that it's going to be Herndon. You know, the guy I always, it's funny, there is always one of those guys, and I think it was, was it Ray Ray Armstrong? There's some guy on Washington, some rookie wide receiver that's always popping up on those lists, and it's, it's, it's a good point, man. We'll see. I am still fully buying her, particularly because, as you said, tight end 18 on your list, I think he's around that range on most throughout the industry, so, you know, you're not going to look back at your dynasty team in five years and say, wow, you know, if, if I just hadn't have snagged Chris Herndon around 16, you know, we'd be, we'd be talking about all these championships, so while, while, while I see your point, I'm still telling all the listeners out there do not leave your drafts without chris herndon all right he has so much upside i i just i feel the need to say that his, his upside as a tight end 18 matches the upside for the guys who are like at tight end date that's you right know? ceiling is the roof for mr chris herndon all right last one man then we'll get out of here mike Justicki, designated as a tight end more or less plays wide receiver 2020 could not be looking better with albert wilson and alan hearns choosing to opt out but what are your thoughts on Jasicki? you know for the long term I'm a little more pessimistic on him. I have him at tight end 14, but it's the guys who are ranked, you know, tight end six to tight end 18. You could order them almost however you want. And I really wouldn't push back all that much. Uh, I, I have him behind Johnny Smith, have him behind Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, Irv Smith. I think I just feel a little more certain about those guys. Um, but, you know, Gesicki certainly has the talent. His athleticism is, you know, like 100 percentile um, and he has the opportunity or at least he should have the opportunity as the number three option behind Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, maybe even the number two option in that offense if things go his way. Um, but I'm just a little more pessimistic on that happening. Yeah, no, I, I see some people like combating uh, Jacecki's chances this year by pointing at Changeli's historical usage with tight ends. And again, he plays receivers. Seventy-seven percent of his snaps yeah. last season were in the slot or out wide. Coaching tendencies can be useful, but a lot of times, you know, again, if it's, especially if it's a coach we think highly of, they're probably just putting their talent in a position to succeed. You know, shouldn't assume that James White is going to get the same number of targets as Christian McCaffrey just because Cam Newton is under center for example. Matt, that's going to do it, man. Thank you so much. I thought you brought the heat, brought the fire, even though you know, we had the A.J. Brown mini slander going. I thought we overcame that. Got a good podcast out of it. Everyone follow Matt on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Yes, that is a shout-out to the former amazing show, The League. But, Matt, tell me uh, what, what you got coming up, where you got on the pipeline over at Fantasy Labs and Action Network. 
So you can check out the dynasty rankings. Uh, they are free at action network. Uh, we have the fantasy football uh, cheat sheet and draft tool at action network, which is powered by the projections that uh, Sean corner, AKA the odds maker, Chris Rabon and I produce uh, those are up to the minute. Uh, we update them almost every day. Anytime there's anything consequential with news, we do updates there. Uh, and then of course we have a lot of content uh, that's going to be coming out shortly uh, to help you prepare for fantasy football. And then of course, uh, you know, when week one hits, it's just, uh, it's going to be the levy breaking with uh, fantasy football content. Yes, sir. And yeah, it's, you know, when I have a dynasty draft, I am pulling Mr. Matt Friedman's rankings out going along with them. That's going to do it. Uh, my, I'm Ian Harditz. That's Matthew Friedman. Thank you for tuning into the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And make sure to check out the rest of our PFF Podcast Network. We are, obviously have PFF NFL Podcast uh, Forecast 2 for 1. But soon we'll be, we will be having Unexpected Points with Kevin Cole, PFF College Football Podcast with Seth Galina, the Chris Collinsworth Podcast, and a daily betting podcast. So plenty of content on the road. Looking forward to week one. I'm Ian Harditz. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one.